In this edition of Hoopsology, we are gearing up for March Madness as we welcome Mexico Lobos men's basketball beat reporter for the Albuquerque Journal, Jeff Grammer. Jeff covers the New Mexico Lobos men's basketball team and provides insight regarding their comeback season and making multiple appearances in the top 25. Then we get Jeff's insight on hot issues affecting college sports, such as NIL and the transfer portal. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Follow us on all social media platforms for our latest shows and also subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are a proud member of Underdog Podcast. And now, Jeff Grammer. He is the New Mexico Lobos beat writer for the Albuquerque Journal. We welcome Jeff Grammer onto Hoopsology. How's it going? Pretty good, guys. How you guys doing? Doing really well. Thanks for joining us. And I I remember your first appearance on our show was way in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, Just in case for the audience out there, uh, Matt and I are University of New Mexico alumni and uh, New Mexico Lobos, both men's and women's basketball team, uh, very close to our hearts. So we're always following what they're going on. And we appreciate Jeff's work um, just in terms of discovering the team. He is the the best journalist in Albuquerque covering um, not only just the Lobos, but also just college athletics as a whole. So uh, we appreciate your work. I appreciate the kind words. That's nice. So Jeff, let's get started. And I don't, it's, it's, I think it's a really a Herculean task just to, to summarize kind of the last time to now in terms of what the, the Lobos have gone through. But I want to just focus on their resurgence this year. Just overall, can you kind of paint a picture of just the Lobos men's basketball team, uh, what it's been like in terms of their resurgence this year uh, for the University of Mexico, uh, for the listeners out there. Um, they've been struggling the past few years, but this year in particular, um, they really got on a roll, got ranked um, in the top 25 several times, um, sellout crowds uh, for their home games, really just a resurgence in terms of this fan interest within Albuquerque. Can you guys kind of go over this season for them? I know they've kind of come back to earth, but still, this has been a remarkable turnaround for this program. Right. Well, I, I don't think you can really paint accurately the picture of, of this year's resurgence without going back to, to when we talked last time in that COVID year. And look, it, it was a miserable time here. I, I won't go too in-depth to, to remind everybody. Most people probably remember. But in terms of just the basketball part of it, nothing else, there was only really one program that had to play its entire season outside of its own state. And it ended up being the UNM Lobos. Even at the very end, New Mexico State was able to at least practice in their home gym in Las Cruces. They played their games down the road 40 minutes away at UTEP still, but they were at least able to practice. The Lobos didn't even practice that entire season. The the Lobo women's team was able to come back in March and and play a a conference or for a regular season championship with no fans in the arena. But the, the Lobo men's team lived out of, you know, Marriott's and lived out of hotels the entire year. Sounds great at first when you think about it, but... A lot of these guys were, were new players. They moved to Albuquerque to live in in Lubbock, Texas hotels and Southern Utah hotels, and, and they, they weren't around that year. That year was miserable. Ended up being a six-win season. Only four of those were against Division One teams. The program was was at its bottom. Before the season was even over, Paul Weir and the, and the university agreed it, it was done. Uh, they were going to move on. They announced he was leaving at the end of the season, even before the season was over. So that was sort of the, the baseline, right? That was that was where we're starting this resurgence. They hire Richard Patino, maybe a little underwhelming of a hire for a lot of people. He, he had spent eight years at Minnesota. People that don't realize the hierarchy of the Big Ten probably don't understand that, while it's a fantastic conference, 
not every team in that conference, same as the SEC, same as the Big 12, not every team in that conference has a chance to win. Um, they can be good, and they, they, they were pretty good some of those years, but not every team really has a chance to win in that league, just the way it's structured, right? So in comes Patino. His two building blocks right off the bat were transfers of NBA sons, Jalen House, Jamal Masperin Jr. They win 13 games last year. They show glimpses. They also show some weaknesses, right? They they knew that they could score with anybody. They, they had two really good offensive players. They lost before the season even, season even started. Uh, one center that they were expecting to play. They lost 12 games in. Jethro Muscadin, a Kansas transfer, who, who certainly tragically much bigger than all this basketball talk we're doing, but um, later was in a car wreck uh, about a week after he, he transferred from the UNM program, was in a coma nearly a year, and then ended up dying. So just tragic. They, they lost their top two centers. They moved a guy who's about to be honored um, for with the Lobos in senior night, um, Emmanuel Quach, over to center. He finally gets a start against Utah State. He breaks his leg. They're down three centers at that point. And the two guys that they had that were big guys last year that they had hoped to either redshirt or really gradually ease into the rotation, Sebastian Forsling and Brima Sek. You know, they, Brima Sek didn't get a whole lot of minutes, but Sebastian Forsling certainly was forced into action before he was ready. So we saw what their strengths were. They could score. We saw what their weaknesses were. Didn't have a whole lot of experience, and they needed some big guys. They needed tough guys, too. And they addressed that better than any team really probably could have addressed it. You know, you sure you'll take an all American if you can find one, but the way they addressed it was they got a four year starter, six foot eight center Morrissey Daisy from Wichita state who decent numbers, but he was never first team all conference at Wichita state. Um, they get Josiah Alec again, people knew of him. He was pretty good, but he wasn't blowing it up statistically, but they get two six foot eight power forwards basically that come in and reset the tone reset the identity, if you will, the culture of, hey, we're a program now that can go inside, that can be tough, that can play some defense. Now, they're still undersized, and that's what their biggest problem this whole year is, is they basically play a seven-man rotation with four guards who are six foot two and smaller and two big men who are six foot eight. So they're undersized. Their defense is going to suffer as a result of it, but they still got that offense. They, they added a couple guys who can play really good offense, so here you are going into this season with all these pieces. How are they going to come together? You got KJ Jenkins off the bench. You got a backup point guard that they needed last year too. You get him in, in Donovan Dent that you really hit pretty big on in the in the recruiting market and um, from the freshman recruiting market, not the transfer recruiting market. And he ends up being a really good freshman point right off the bat, backup point. And, and so they have the pieces, but are they going to blend together? Well, 14-0 and 0 tells us they, they blend together pretty quick. We know what the schedule was. It wasn't wasn't the toughest schedule, but it mm-hmm. certainly wasn't the easiest necessarily either. There, there, were, there were worse schedules out there. There's, there's going to be five, six, seven teams in the NCAA tournament that played lower-ranked strength of schedules than, than did the Lobos. So it wasn't the weakest out there. And they went 14-0 with it, obviously, with a couple big wins. They showed early on, and, and I'll probably talk about this again during this, this um, discussion, their A game, it might be the best A game in the Mountain West. They have the best wins in the entire conference this year. Their, their rebuilding of this program probably went a little faster than, than maybe some expected, which is the only reason why now, you know, as we're heading into March, there's a disappointment feel around a program that I all that setup was to say just a year and a half ago, they were four Division One wins. And now they're at 20 wins. They were on the bubble till about a week ago. 
maybe they still make a postseason run. I don't know. But like to think all of that happened in that rapid, that short amount of time, um, it's been pretty impressive. And and frankly, there's nobody off the court that's like, you know, I haven't had to write about anybody really off the court. I've, I've had to write about some off the court issues, but it wasn't the Lobos this time. And um, it, it's been fun, man. It's been been fun watching them play. Uh, they have fun and they play hard. I do think that they have some weaknesses, but but here we are, you know, going into March. And I, I think at their best, I would say they're equal to the best team in the league, which is San Diego State. Their A game, like I said, they have better wins than anybody in the entire Mountain West this season. So they also have some pretty bad losses, which is why they're not in the tournament right now. But I think the, the resurgence of the program has certainly been welcomed by me to cover because it's been a long time since I had some good good basketball to cover. And it's been a long time since Matt and I have been happy to watch the Lobos and it's filled with joy <laughs> seeing them on the court. So I, we, we empathize with you, absolutely. What is Richard Pertino's kind of framework until, in terms of how this team is going to be rebuilt? I just I remember a press conference and I think the Lobos won. I can't remember the team, but his um, reaction was tempered. And I think he said they were ahead of schedule. And I expected him to be more excited. And I think he was just like, hey, I know we're doing really good, but we're way ahead of schedule. There's going to be some rocky times ahead. And I think he actually projected where the Lobos are now. What is kind of their, what is his framework kind of for the offseason, using the transfer portal, and then just for kind of the years, you know, heading into really building a solid foundation so the Lobos can be consistent moving forward? So I, I think what makes his job I don't want to say easier right now. It's a new world for these coaches too, right? The, the transfer portal is really only a year or two and it's in what it, it's form right now. It's really only into year two that you can do these instant transfers that you can do as much transfer recruiting as you, as they do. And so coaches are kind of taking a different stab at it. A, a lot of coaches are now ignoring the freshman class at all or entirely, which maybe more of them go the junior college route or, or even a division two route, hoping to get seen a year or two down the road because some schools just aren't going to recruit freshmen anymore. Now, what that allows, though, what that allows for is maybe a Donovan Dent would have been higher on some teams' boards a year ago, but those teams were now saying, no, we got to refill right now, reload right now with transfers that have done it at the Division One level, and we know they'll be available. So coaches are kind of looking at this in, in, in different ways. Do you just load up on the transfers and get the immediate Morrissey, Daisy, Josiah, Alec kind of impact? Or do you go for the freshman and hope, just cross your fingers that they stay with you for two or three years and they're good as sophomores, juniors, and seniors. You're rolling the dice a little bit there. You don't have, coaches don't have a lot of time really to wait for player development. But what Richard Pertino has been pretty clear about, and and so far so good for him, mind you, he's going to add one, maybe two freshmen every recruiting class, and then he's going to do whatever's left. He's going to probably add transfers whether it's a junior college transfer like he did with kj jenkins when they needed a shooter um two years ago and, and he has been um or if it's transfers like you know, jamal masper jr Jalen house josiah alec morrissey daisy those four guys have all hit i don't think he's gonna bat a thousand forever but like he had four transfers that are basically the four top players right now but you mix that in with the hope is if Jalen house leaves which he could um if Jalen house leaves the season Donovan Dent's a starting point guard ready to go next year for next year's team. If let's just say, you know, somebody else, when we know, we know Morrissey days is moving on because his eligibility is exhausted. So they now have 
an incoming freshman from Houston um, who's already signed with the team, Jaden Toppin, who's six foot eight. He's not going to be a starter as a freshman, but you're now developing him into a future big role. You got Josiah Alec, who's going to be playing big minutes, assuming he comes back. He's hinted that he will, although anything can happen. Um, but then they also, because of what Morris Daisy did this year, because of what Josiah Alec did this year, and then Mashburn and House for two years, they're going to hit this transfer market in about two, three weeks once the season ends and that transfer portal actually opens up officially because there is an actual official start date now where you can start contacting all these portal players. The, the UNM Lobos are a destination now for transfers because look at what mm. all four of those transfer stats were before they came to UNM. And then Richard Patino says, of course, come play for me. I'm going to give you the keys to the, to the car. You guys can do everything you want. But it actually happened. All four of those players, their stats are so much better than they were in their previous stops that it wasn't just talk, really. So I do think that there's a good chance that they can land a wing. They need some help at the three at the wing spot. They need another big man. And I would say those will be their two primary targets. Now, this team also needs shooting. And and so we're, we're up to three needs, right? And they got two freshmen coming in. True Washington, who's a four-star recruit. He can help on the wing a little bit, but he's only 6'3". Um, I do think that they already have two scholarships locked up and they'll probably go after probably three transfers if they can. And we're, we're now looking at five scholarships need to open up. So we'll see, you know, how that plays out. I don't think any team in the country's ever again, probably anytime ever again, going to be immune from transferring out. So we'll, we'll see a few players that you might not be expecting right now, probably leave the program. And it doesn't mean there's turmoil or, or anything going on. It just means we're in an era now where, good for players. They have the opportunity to go find the best situation for them. Jeff, I want to zoom out a bit and and talk about the transfer portal on a major scale. It sounds like from what you're saying that there's potentially a lot of benefits towards maybe mid-major programs, and that's that's a way for them to compete with those traditional programs in a sense if they're still very focused on like the top freshmen coming in. I mean, I assume they're going to be big in the transfer game as well. Um, But how do you kind of see this playing out so far from the small sample size we have like across the country and in college basketball at large? Yeah, I I think it's not what people initially expected. I think that everybody kind of thought this was going to be a rich get richer. Duke's going to go pick off every great Mountain West player and Kentucky's going to go take every great Missouri Valley Conference player. Well, that's not exactly what's happened. If you look at the college basketball landscape, there, there's a whole lot of blue bloods out there this year that were struggling that didn't, make, didn't necessarily attack that transfer portal as well as the New Mexico did or as well as maybe some other Mountain West schools did. So I, I think just like it was before, good coaches, either at the power in basketball, it's power six. So at the power six level in basketball, there's going to be some good coaches there that attack it just right and kind of find the right mix. There's going to be some good coaches at the mid-major level, at the Mountain West level, at those levels that attack it just right. But I don't think it actually adjusts the, I guess, the scales in the advantage of of the Power Six any more than it did before. I just think that the coaches Mm -hmm. have to figure out the right mix because there is going to be an interesting mix. And like I mentioned with Donovan Dent, maybe he ends up at UNM anyway in the pre-transfer portal world. But I do think that there are some power conference schools now that they don't want to even mess with freshmen. They don't have the time to let a freshman develop one or two years. So if you're not getting a top 25 five-star freshman or maybe a top 50 kind of freshman, there might be some Dukes of the world in Kentucky's that back off those guys and don't even recruit them anymore because they know they can go get that four-year player out of 
you know, Sienna or something like that, that, that was just a great player and, and, and needs one year to, to show his NBA stock. They know they can go pick off some of those guys. So maybe they don't recruit freshmen anymore. And as a result, you see the Lobos just landed a four-star um, shooting guard who, who did have some high major offers. You see, but he knows he can come here and probably get some minutes pretty quick. And he knows that he can pair up with Donovan Dent and maybe be a backcourt of the future kind of situation. So I think that depending on how you tackle it, I don't think it's going to be an advantage for mid-majors or, or power conference schools any more than it was prior. So the Lobos right now have hit it right. Now, it doesn't mean they're always going to hit it right. But if you want to compare one other first-year coach a year ago that's now a second-year coach in the Mountain West, Kevin Kruger. I like Kevin a lot at UNLV, but he's really attacked the rebuild that he had to do at UNLV with let's just get a whole bunch of Big 12 conference um, transfers and, and these kind of third, fourth, fifth-year guys even – and they're coming in for one year, maybe two years, and they're out of here already. Whereas Richard Pitino mixed the freshmen in with not only just transfers, but Morris Daisy is the only transfer he's got in that's been a one and done because he exhausted his eligibility. I mean, Jalen House could be a three-year guy. Jamal Mashburn Jr. could be a four-year Lobo. And, and same with Josiah Allen could be a two-year guy. So, you know, depending on how you – what transfers you target, do you just want that grad transfer as a one and done? Probably not. But it's going to be interesting to see because so far – the, the reason the Lobos are back in a little bit of a relevancy discussion is because they've hit on all four of their transfers. Go ahead, Matt. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I would think that uh, just the age difference potentially, I mean, that, that would be fascinating to see a flip between the majors and, and mid majors. Um, I wanted to ask you as well, from what you've seen, so far across country and in in like this maybe mid-major context kind of like the lobos what have you seen as far as the impact of nil and and how that is playing is there any sort of benefit to being like the big fish in the small pond compared to being you know i would assume the nil deals would still be bigger in one of the power six conferences but is there any sort of advantage or unexpected things you're seeing with NIL so far? Yes, sort of, to, to be honest, so far, I, I think eventually we'll get back to what we thought it might become, which is programs with a ton of money and a ton of boosters are going to be able to get better players, right? But so far, it really hasn't been the case. You, you can see two two programs that have done really good NIL-wise are, are Boise State and New Mexico. Now, those are kind of, Boise State competes with football, obviously. But they got a couple car dealerships there that are like leasing cars out for their entire college career to players. They got, you know, things going on there that if you're telling me I'm a college player or I'm, I'm a college recruit coming from back east or anywhere in the country to Boise, Idaho, but I know I got a pretty good car for four years, like that's a big <laughs> perk right off the bat. You got stuff going on here with the 505 um, Sports Venture um, Collective in, in Albuquerque that they're doing pretty good. In, you know, look, Donovan Dent's a guy that I think schools are going to come out and, and covet. He was on a trajectory where I thought, like, for sure people were really going to come at him. He's leveled off a little bit that maybe that helps his chances of staying. But he also has a really good relationship with UNM. And I think the NIL guys know we, we got to take care of him. He This is how you compete at this level. Whereas I still think eventually um, the rich get richer in this regard probably will be true. Right now, I'll tell you, Kurt Roth, the guy that runs the collective here, he thinks this is what gives UNM a chance. He knows that UNM and the Mountain West won't be able to compete with a Kentucky budget or, or a big power conference budget. 
but basketball needs only a handful of players to be really good, right? So mm. why not throw all your eggs in one basket and get a couple of really good players and, and, and show them show them the love, not just in the pit, but like with, with a little bit of spending cash or walking around money, I guess. And some of them get a little more than just walking around money. But they're, they're, they can probably, in their mind, at, here in a place like New Mexico, maybe they can get those that one piece or two piece that, that puts them over the top. Do you have concerns about NIL in terms of right now we're still in the embryonic stages. Uh, it's kind of like the wild, wild west at some schools. Are you worried that, you know, these kids may be taken advantage of by these, you know, early stages of NIL, or do you think it'll work itself out eventually? Um, yes and no. Like I'm, I guess my concerns come from the unknown, right? We all kind of have some unknowns about, what is going to happen. It seems dirty. It seems shady. It seems like somebody's about to be in trouble for something. But the reality is that I think it's all open right now. It's it's out there more than it's ever been. And I've always fallen on the side of, I, I, I cover a sport where I see a lot of rich, older guys, frankly, um, frankly, a lot of rich, rich, old white guys in this industry have made money off of this sport for a long time. Not a lot of females, not a lot of people of color and not a lot of the young people who are actually playing the sports. There's been millions made off of this sport for a long time. And you can't tell me all over and over and over again, but they get a free education. Well, okay. I get they get a free education, but we're talking millions. There's a reason CBS sports has a billion multi-billion dollar contract to run just the tournament, just the NCAA tournament, which is about two and a half weeks, three weeks every March. Right? So there's money to be had, and, and I kind of was around it long enough where I was getting frustrated watching these side companies, um, you know, marketing companies, and all these side ventures get a lot of six-figure employees and, and a lot of maybe even beyond six-figure employees that are running these businesses, and, and they're all doing it for the student-athletes. I am right now of the opinion I'm happy that the players are getting something out of it. I hope it doesn't get out of control where it just sort of ruins um, recruiting in terms of violations and things like that. I do. I am concerned a little bit that it is in some cases, a lot of money for young athletes that probably don't have any experience with that kind of money. So to make sure that they got their taxes taken care of, that they're not running into any of those kind of problems. But man, I, 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 I turned the corner several years ago. Um, just seeing a lot of people get rich off of college basketball, since that's my primary beat, but this applies obviously even more so to college football. I just I just saw a lot of people getting rich off of this sport, and uh, I'm I'm okay with the fact that right now the players are getting some of it, and it may kind of hurt some of us fans sometimes, right? It, it may may not be what's best for our team. It may hurt our teams, that kind of stuff. But in the end, if the players are finally getting a little piece of the pie, I'm I'm okay with that. And that's not to say all the people getting rich off the sport were bad people. It's just the structure was was inherently built in a way that the people actually that we all come to write about to cover to cheer for they were the only ones not really getting a piece of it now they are so yeah i'm worried but i'm also okay with that worry because i think it comes with the uh with the caveat that the right thing ultimately is what's going on right now jeff from the opinions you're seeing not necessarily in nil although we can go there too but uh thinking along the lines of the transfer portal and potentially just just how chaotic that could be at any any time, you know, for someone to be jumping ship uh, to a different team. Do you see any sort of like 
reasonable outrage out there or pushback that could lead to changes in those rules? Or do you see that staying like pretty fixed for, for the next, you know, couple of years? I, I think the biggest change is already starting to happen where they have to let the schools be more involved in it. Initially they were saying, we don't want the schools involved. They, they can't mm-hmm. be involved at all, but then they realize, well, that, that doesn't make sense. How, how would a collective in Albuquerque, New Mexico know which recruit to offer how much money to, or how would he even get connected with that recruit unless he was acting in some way as a booster. So the schools can now coordinate some of it. They, they can't write the check. They can't spell out the dollar amount, but there needs to be some involvement with the school. Now the worry there is then once the schools are back involved, the reason they didn't want them involved initially is because then the schools can get in trouble. If, if there's some tampering and cheating going on, exactly. you need to have a certain level of that. So that's kind of, we went from, it's not allowed, it's not allowed. Okay, now NIL is allowed, but schools can't be involved. So then we kind of jump down to here. Now we're inching back up to where the school involvement does then kind of put them at risk a little bit. And that's okay. I, I think the schools have to be involved to a certain amount. Um, you know, now we'll see which schools kind of uh, are the ones behind maybe tampering more than they should and stuff like that. But it, it, look, it is going on. I'm well aware of, of a few cases already where, where, um, you know, handlers and, and parents have been reached out to and said, hey, I think this NIL deal at this other school would be pretty good. Some of that stuff's already going on. But guess mm-hmm. what? It was actually going on anyway. It, it was going on before anyway. So I think we're at a spot now where the schools have to be involved at least a little. But um, I don't know how much. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's it's like a, a new cycle that's, that's sort of regenerating in, in terms exactly. of these levels of involvement. And, and my mind goes to, of course, just you know, through the era of sports that the three of us have watched, you know, seeing all the violations in the past, you know, that there's, there's always teams like, you know, that old saying goes, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, so to speak. Yeah. And, and none of us are naive to that. So, so I do wonder with more transparency, which I totally agree. I like the transparency, but I just wonder then like, what is the, the cutting edge? What is that looking like now as well? And I, I'm curious what the transparency is going to be like, we, we, you know, I, I've, I've heard rumblings of how much even some of the Lobo players are getting paid. I've also been told those numbers are way out of whack, that those aren't the numbers. So um, they don't have to disclose what their numbers are. If you're, if you're a state employee, you do. If you're a not an employee, which the NCAA is still very adamant about, they don't have to disclose what they're getting paid in these deals. So it's an interesting kind of this balancing act where, again, state schools can get involved with these financial dealings, but don't have to disclose the terms that's when you start getting into that whole murky area that UNM and, and a lot of other schools over the past decade have kind of been, you know, bordering on getting in trouble with when, when they have these deals that they don't want to be transparent about. I'm, I am a little afraid that that's going to then get into the realm of the players. Not, not all that interested in covering those, but I, I do think some of that's going to come up. If, if a school helps player A get a $100,000 NIL deal, but we find out that that $100,000 NIL deal was – being funded by, you know, some partner of the school or whatever. Like these are all weird scenarios that could play out. Well, then what school involvement is, you know, what school level, what level of transparency should the school have had with their partnership with this other entity? And those are the things that probably in the next 24 months are are really going to start hitting courts and and hitting the news cycle. Now it's, it's a really interesting subject, but at least the athletes are getting something. It's a start. It's yes. uh, on on the road to at least. I hope the the colleges um, paying the players as well. Both, but yeah, and, at and least I'll, it's a... I'll throw this in real quick too. I've covered sure. enough global players where 
I, I don't think they're hurting necessarily. Like UNM takes care of its players as best as they always could when there was stipend that was approved and they started getting it. They feed them well. They do all that kind of stuff. But man, there's some, there's 363 division one programs. There are some schools at some pretty poor places that are, you know, hoping to get McDonald's after a game and, and stuff like that. The, there's the money's not at all the program. So I'm, I'm glad that some of these guys can go to a movie on the weekend and stuff like that, because it sounds silly and some people roll their eyes at it. The, there are, there's a lot of that going on at the division one basketball level where players weren't, you know, going to the movies on the weekends because they really didn't have that level of money. No, totally true. Jeff, thanks very much for joining us. Please let our viewers and listeners know where they can find you on social media, uh, where you can find your work at the Albuquerque Journal and any other projects you're working on as well. abqjournal.com slash sports. If you just want to jump right to the sports stuff, that's where most of my stuff goes. I'm, I'm on Twitter more than I should be, um, at Jeff Grammer, and I don't spell either one right. It's G-E-O-F-F-G-R-A-M-M-E-R. So I'm, I'm on Twitter all the time. I, I try and answer as best I can. Um, you reach out to me there anytime you need to, and, and that's pretty much where I'm at. Awesome, Jeff. Thanks so much. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on.